Hello, listener. Welcome to Marching In, a dedicated Southampton FC podcast hosted by me, Luke Innes, and Sam Apperton. Music comes from Lawrence Norton. If you want to stay up to date with the pod and find out about future guests and upcoming episodes, you can find us on Twitter at Marching In Pod. Welcome listeners to another episode of Marching In. I am as ever joined by my co-host Sam and I think kudos to Sam because given his uh, workplaces, Sky Sports News has been a very busy couple of days for you. Lack of sleep but he still managed to squeeze in his favourite time of the week and speak to me. So yeah, how are you doing Sam? Yeah, not bad. Tired after a 1am finish last night but back up and ready to go today. Yeah, as is as is the case, I guess, working for that employer. Any um any highlights from your your deadline day? No, it's actually. I mean, quite often I know I see people criticise deadline day for being a bit bit a bit rubbish, but it was quite a lively one yesterday. Obviously, Delhi Ali, the Abamyang story, which is a bit mental, and then yeah, it was just just loads going on compared to Ericsson to, to usual January's. Yeah, Ericsson. I mean, that was before I started, but. Yeah, it's a, it's a brilliant story, isn't it, Ericsson? Yeah, yeah. A bit of a sort of budget uh, Photoshop. I don't know if you saw that. It was doing the rounds on Twitter by Brentford. Because obviously it's a bit difficult with the January transfer. And I thought this about the Luis Diaz uh, transfer, where they can't really get like the player at the ground or, or in the yeah. kit or whatever. So you're sort of over to, I guess, people who do a similar role to you in editing things together and putting uh, stuff together for clubs to release their signing news. Yeah, it's a strange one. It's obviously it's got, it's got this weird international break at the moment. So there's, there's obviously two or three players like Gimaresh at Newcastle as well. He's not going to be able to be at the club for, for a few days. It's just yeah. a strange one. Yeah, indeed. Um, well, I guess given our, our slightly busier schedule this week, we're going to rattle through the, the topics. We'll talk Man City, which feels like it was a, a wee while ago now. But given our, our, our great performance... Um, yeah, probably about nine days ago. We'll give that some air time. We're going to talk a little on the transfer window. I guess not kind of a, a busy one for Saints at all. But there are some kind of stories that, that are worth touching on. And then we'll finish off looking at our upcoming fixtures. Um, but at the end of the pod, I've got a chat with uh, Tom from the Sky Blues Extra podcast, properly previewing the Coventry game. So stay tuned for that, listeners. It'll be yeah, at the back end of this this pod now. Um, so Sam, we're going to kind of take a, a trip back to yeah Saturday five thirty. We uh, face City, having drawn with them earlier on in the season, nil nil. Not many teams, yeah, I guess, uh, keep City to a clean sheet, but we managed to uh, yeah only concede once against them on on that Saturday. It was a great performance, wasn't it? It was just such an intense game. Like, I, I mean, as soon as we scored, I felt like every wave of, of City attacks, I was then looking at the clock and thinking, how long have we knocked off here? It was a yeah, very tense affair, but great performance nonetheless. Yeah, it was a brilliant game, brilliant, brilliant atmosphere. Obviously, it was completely a game of two halves in terms of, I mean, first half, we were excellent at the game of City. I know they obviously still had a lot of possession, but 
I felt we probably looked more dangerous than they did in the first half. And then obviously their quality sort of tailed in the second half and um, they took control and had so much possession and Royner started taking, started putting in, putting the strings in midfield and playing balls through. I mean, I mean a few of his, few of his long range efforts. I mean, there was one hit the post and then I think one that just went just wide and forces was I thought he left it at one point, but no, he was just literally stranded. He would, he would have been absolutely nowhere near it if he went in. But yeah, it was a great performance, really a testament to the way we set up against City over the, in the in the two games this season. I was Obviously, we, we, were, we were really good at the Etihad and lucky not to, not to win, let alone just get a point. And um, we sort of built on that at St Mary's. I mean, the fact, the fact they've been 12 games unbeaten, sorry, 12 games, 12 games winning streak even, and um, we put on that sort of performance and limit them, especially in the first half, to practically nothing apart from that chance that Sterling had. It was really, really impressive, especially defensively. I mean, I know we'll touch on, touch on him quite a bit in this in this segment, but Solis is just a man mountain, isn't he? Hey, just an absolute, absolute beast of a centre-half. Not that Garth Crooks is a fan. Did you see that about his team of the week? Yeah, yeah. it's team of the week, but you, can only, you can't pick players that have been erratic at some point in their Exactly, career. yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's just like a bit of a bit of a trope that's been used to batter Salusi with without any actual actual evidence as well and him being that erratic actually I mean yeah look I know there was the kind of Spurs incident which we went over but I mean he's, he's been very very solid for us and that was undoubtedly his best performance in in a Saints shirt there was one tackle I think where De Bruyne was breaking we'd lost it I think Elianusi had lost it on the left hand side and it, it you know when De Bruyne gets going and I think he's starting to get back to his best where he can travel with the ball at pace and then play those just killer passes and I, I sort of was fearing the worst because we were outnumbered at that point and he I mean he basically makes the tackle laying down but the strength of the man to like do that and then get up and yeah he was he was exquisite and actually I think again something that is overlooked when it comes to a, a centre half that sort of looks as physical as he is his passing, specifically yeah. in that first half, got us out of so many little tight spots where he was, I think he dinked the ball into, into Armstrong at one point, just perfectly onto his chest. And actually, City's pressing is the best in, in probably world football. And he was the one that kept on picking out those little passes just between the lines. So, yeah, I mean, we, we said we'd probably give him some airtime. Let's do it now. He was just so good. And, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm just delighted that, Really, this season he's kicked on to be the centre back. That, that I mean, many fans of La Liga said, "Look, you are getting a hell of a, a centre back here." And I think he's been managed well by by Ralph. And there was a situation where we didn't really know if he was ever going to kind of make that grade into to first team football last season. We, you know, I'm thinking, was it this time last year where we had potentially an FA Cup match at Wolves coming up? And that yeah, might have been one of... It was his debut, wasn't it? It was his, it was debut, his debut, wasn't it? Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, look, fast forward on 12 months and the Premier League is, is kind of waking up to the talent that we've got there. Yeah, it's just, I mean, you mentioned that tackle. It was almost... Someone compared it to that tackle Bobby Moore did on Pelé in 1970. <laughs> we get nowhere near as much air time as that. But it was, yeah, it was, a, <laughs> it, was a, it was quite a moment when that happened. Also, it was a moment where he took one square in the, square in the face and just shows how committed he is committed years as well. I mean, there are other there are other brilliant performances. Obviously Walker Peters, it's obviously it's probably been a tough season for him to be honest. He's um come in what 18 months ago now on a permanent deal. 
and he probably thought, right, this is my this is my right place for the next what, four or five years, and I'll be I'll be able to kick on and um, be first choice at Saints. And all of a sudden, this young starlet comes in, Livramento, and he's he's either been shifted out of the side or he's been shifted to the left. I mean, he's been brilliant on the left. To be fair, to me, he's really improved in that position, but it just shows what a, what a brilliant player we do have. If if Livermento A was injured as he is now, or if he was to be taken away by by a bigger club, I expect he would have been in the next couple of years. We've got a hell of a player to replace him. I don't think it really weakens us, to be honest. And it, I mean, it was just a brilliant. It was a brilliant goal. It's just the, the break we did, the, the little pass between to, from Redmond to him, and then and then the finish. And to, to beat beat a goalkeeper was. I mean, I think I put Edison in the top. Probably the top three keepers in the world, and mm. he's absolutely nowhere near it. It's a brilliant finish. Yeah, and it yeah. started with Shea Adams on probably our left, wasn't it? I mean, the, the I, thought move, you, I thought uh, you might. I thought you might have noticed. Yeah, exactly. Of course, I did. I thought <laughs> Shea was. I mean, there are a few moments where him and Broder were, were breaking, and the kind of understanding between them broke down a little bit. And, and I think we mm. actually could have exploited that more than we did. But he did so well, um, and then do we kept the ball moving, and I, it just. It was such a good game. Like you say, the atmosphere inside St Mary's, I, I haven't really heard us like like that in some time. And, you know, going toe-to-toe with a team like City, it takes, I think, a lot of um, guts from Ralph to play in the way that we did. Because, I mean, you touched on the Sterling chance. I thought we defended really, really well um, in, in that first half. And I think we rode our luck at times in the second. But tactically, I think just important to call out our kind of what we would consider our number 10 positions stayed quite narrow defensively. So we kept on looking to push um, their play out to the their fullbacks who were high. And Cancelo had the ball a lot in that first half and was really poor with his delivery. But forcing a team like City into those wider areas where they're putting balls into the box and, and having to cross, like, you know, just in terms of pure numbers is a really good defensive um, kind of tactic. And I think we were very good at stopping those balls into the dangerous half spaces that like KDB and, and Foden would exploit. So I think defensively, first off, we were great. And, you know, you touched on our fullback positions. We look really well balanced as a back four with Perrault at, at fullback and, and Walker-Peters at right back. I think Perrault probably could have got rid of the ball before it falls to Sterling for, for Forster to make that save. Like he gets his, 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 I think his footing's just a little off and he doesn't quite clear it. And, I mean, it's a big chance. It just felt inevitable that the, the net would ripple, but Forza makes a good save with his feet. Yeah, and um, I mean, the only the only disappointing thing was for me in the game was that the, the equaliser wasn't. They didn't cut us open. They didn't play play through us and score an amazing city goal. It was a set piece where we sort of. I wouldn't say we were sl- probably probably were a bit sloppy to, to be honest, and um, obviously we we play the runners offside. But then the other runner, who, who Laporte, who's Laporte, comes around the back and he's absolutely free, free as anything, and he's miles inside. It's, it was it was poor marking from us. It's just a shame that the set piece goal was the thing that cost us cost us three points. I said exactly the same thing to my old man. You know, we it does feel inevitable that City will score in in every game they play, but to concede in the way we did, and I was just going to jump in and say. There seemed to be some arguing that happened post that goal between, I think, Broder and, and Bednarek perhaps over what exactly happened. Because 
we do like to play that high line with those set pieces in areas like that and often step out and catch a lot of them offside. It's sometimes a bit worrying as a fan, but more often not, it works perfectly. We got it really wrong on that occasion. Yeah, I mean, there's a, obviously there's quite a few of our players appearing for offside. They probably just thought, oh, we, we always do this. It's always offside. Yeah. But no, Laporte was a long way onside. Then obviously it was even more back to the wall for that with City sort of smelt blood and we got we can go and get um go and get the three points here. But no, fair, fair play to Saints. They stuck to it and um, to, to, to take two points off that team this season, I mean, very few teams even, I mean, I, I, I very much doubt if any, if any of the top four would do that this season. I mean, Chelsea, Chelsea were beaten twice by them. I, I mean, United will probably be beaten. I know they normally turn up at the Etihad. I'd imagine United will probably, probably be beaten there this season. And yeah, yes, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's a fantastic achievement, really. It really is. And I think, I guess the frustrating thing and some sort of doomsayers and, and some of the Ralph out brigade might think, well, if we <clears> do that against Man City, why then do we struggle against lesser teams? And, and I appreciate, you know, that that's very fair, but it's a real testament to the young team that Ralph is putting together and I guess tactically what he can do against top, top coaches. Just two things I want to call out. The start of the second half, there were those chances, the Bednarek header, which was almost a carbon copy of his header against Brentford, I think. It was against Brentford, wasn't it? Yeah. Great delivery from Ward Prowse. And it looked, I mean, I was that side of the of the ground and it just looked like that was definitely going in. And then Broger has the chance that maybe comes off the post and Bednarek just fires it over from the rebound. Like that was that was the crucial thing. Broger also goes through. Um, Laporte does exceptionally well. I didn't think he'd actually be able to keep up with Broger on the one-on-one in the, the second half, where Broger makes an excellent run. He's kind of outside, then comes inside. But Laporte makes a hell of a block. And I think Edison realises what, what he's done in terms of yeah, praising him after that. And then I think just in terms of the wave after wave that you, you touched on, I think a core change in terms of us halting that somewhat was Diallo coming on. And he just gave us that that freshness and I actually he surprised me with how quick he looked and I think he's now that almost you know I don't want him to be pigeonholed as kind of a utility player but I think he could play anywhere across the midfield positions pretty successfully and he just gave us that impetus to maybe burst past a couple of players win a couple of fouls and stop that happening and I actually think for the last 10-15 minutes we were really competitive and it didn't feel inevitable that we were going to concede which you know, it's kind of a uh, maybe a rarity in those situations against a side like City. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it just shows how much better Ralph subs have been this season. I mean, although I think Elianusi did struggle, but I mean, in that sort of situation, a player coming on with a team like City starting to get a grip on a game is going to struggle. He's not going to get much of the ball. He's not going to have any. I mean, a player like Elianusi, he's not going to take on Carl Walker and beat him for pace, or he's not going to do much to get past him. Yeah, Diallo came on and really made an impact and definitely helped us to sort of um, almost regroup after, after the equaliser. So just take a bit of sting out of the game. And I know they still had chances after that, but yeah, definitely um, sort of added to added to our solidness and um, made it sort of a less stressful 15, 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Any comment on the VAR decision before we wrap on the City game, Sam? Um, I don't think it's a penalty. I mean, if you're checking it for that long, 
I mean, it's something like ages in the ground. I remember. I was concerned yeah. when something takes that long. You, you, you yeah, there, every time, I, like, every, every time I think, every time I think something's taken uh, more than 20, 30 seconds, I think I was going to be going to be overturned here. Yeah, they checked it for ages, and if, if you're checking a penalty decision for that long, it's not a penalty because it's not clearing obvious. And then the, I think Stuart Armstrong was very, very lucky. I think I think it was a red card. Same. I do. As soon as he went in, I just thought it's a hundred percent red card. And appreciate people say he's going for the ball, but it's just a, it's a dangerous tackle. And I, I know you know Laporte has shown his scars on on, on Instagram or whatever, but it's just not not a nice tackle. And I was very surprised again that it felt like it took a lengthy sort of period. <laughs> I think can't remember if it was the Total Saints podcast or another one that was saying apparently Pep was screaming. I think it might have been Dan Sheldon on that podcast. Pep was screaming for Laporte to get up and just get on with the game because they they actually had really had the bit between their teeth at that point. You know, when De Bruyne goes through and gets foul, could have been a penalty, obviously was judged to be outside anyway. But I think they just wanted to keep the ball ticking over. And that that almost, again, those big stoppages, I think helped us a little bit. Interesting point. Um, we'll finish up there, Samuel. We will we'll talk a little bit on the transfer window. I mean, there were these sort of strange links to Ali that were kept doing the rounds on on Twitter didn't ever really appear likely to me. I don't know if you've got any inside track on this, but obviously he's moved to Everton. I think the fee is believed to be close to, to £40 million if it gets there in terms of how it's structured. They've also got Van der Beek on loan. I guess a side that, you know, coming into the season or I guess pre their real struggles under Rafa, maybe a side that we were looking to kind of be in a similar position to. We're obviously a fair few points above them in the table now, but other sides have strengthened in our our um, sort of cohort of those mid-table teams. Any kind of standouts, anything you want to call out here? Um, obviously, we mentioned Christian Eriksen before. I think it'd be really interesting, interesting to see how he does and also sort of, what sort of game time he'll get. And so obviously, the, what happened to him a few months ago. It's a brilliant story that he's come back and um, it's, a good, it's a good club for him to go to Brentford. They play, play decent football and he's not going to be sort of under pressure to perform to like, if he went to, he went to an Arsenal or Tottenham, he'd be under pressure straight away to push them onto the top four. Whereas Brentford are just trying to, trying to stay in the Premier League and consolidate this season. And then you obviously look at Newcastle. I mean, they spent a lot of money in Newcastle. I mean, the best part of hundred million pounds, I think high nineties. And um, how, how much, how much have they really, do you look at this team now and you're worried by it? I don't know much about, Gimaresh, to be honest. I don't know if you do. Um, Just on Gimaresh, I've heard a little bit from Liga experts, Tom Williams, really good um, writer, who just said he he does look like the real deal. And I think will be one of those players that could kind of change the the feel of that team quite a lot. All action, you know, creates chances, tackles a lot. I think, yeah, can can kind of do a lot as a, as a central midfielder. But I think you're right on the other signings they've made. I mean, given when they were taken over, some of the, the names they were linked with and Newcastle fans thought they might be going after to kind of come out this window with Wood, Burn and Target does feel like, yeah, I mean, they haven't improved that 11 drastically, in my opinion. No, I think they're better than they were. But whether it's good enough to... Keep them up. I mean, I think they might. I mean, they probably will just just about stay up. But I just wonder whether, obviously, Trippy's Trippy's a good signing. 
Yeah. You, can't, you can't argue with that one. I mean, you got to win the league last season. And then the others are disliked. I mean, Villa, he's second choice now. Villa left back now. I know Villa have improved with Luke and Dean and everything, but I mean, Target couldn't even get in our team three years ago. And yeah. now, you know, Dan Byrne, I think, I think Dan Byrne's been really good under, under Graham Potter at Brighton, actually. I mean, sometimes he's been ridiculed for his size and stature in terms of he's just, <laughs> he's just a big lump. You know, Potter's turned him into a proper footballer and even like a left wing back. And you don't really see many six six left wing backs in the Premier League. You don't. But, you don't. Um, I think he will improve them, Byrne, but to only get one centre-back in this window for them, they've got I mean, I think Lascelles, Clark, Shaw. Who else is it? Who else is there? Is that, is that the, there's Dummett as well. They're, yeah. cham- they're championship. They're championship players. Yeah. Whether Dan Byrne can sort of elevate their defence to be anything more than average, I'd be very, very surprised. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting kind of period. And as you say, you know, at the top of the show. Yesterday was far more interesting uh, than, than I had anticipated in terms of the, the kind of movements across the league, less so for Saints, just uh, kind of to finish on the transfer conversation. Do you think there was kind of anything that was left on the table from us in this window? Do you think we should have gone and made moves? No, I think fans always want more, don't they? Fans always want, a, they always want another player that we want someone else to but look, look at our squad and where do we really need someone now in terms of desperately? We're 10 points to the relegation zone. We're going to have a, this summer's going to be a big one for us in terms of outgoings and incomings. And unless we could get, could have gotten Brozier over the line, I know there's talk, talk of Tino, Tino Anjuran from um, Chelsea as well. Yeah. He's obviously gone on like Huddersfield. It's be interesting to see how he does there. But I don't think there's anyone thing drastic we needed. There's obviously more late talk of Sam Johnson again, but we've got three, we've got three senior goalkeepers to the club. We're not going to sign a fourth without one of them going out, going out somewhere. So I think pretty, pretty, pretty satisfied to be honest. The squad looks solid, and yeah, like I said, it's going to be, it's going to be a big summer. Yeah. I agree with that. One deal that we do seem to have got over the line, and Tom Leach has done some good reporting on this. There's a great Hampshire Live article on him. Is Will Armitage, the young centre-back from Cheltenham, who obviously neither of us know anything about. But uh, I think Michael Duff, who's the first-team manager at, at Cheltenham, has said that he, he could go to the very top. It's very hard to tell with a player of that age, but I think very uh, kind of big in stature for his age and very elegant with the ball. But yeah, there's a really good piece on Hampshire Live, I think, from last week. But by the sounds of things, we've got that over the line. I think there's been kind of compensation or some fee that's to the tune of a few hundred grand there. So it'd be interesting to see how, how that one develops and if he gets into maybe the under-18s or, or under-23 set up this season. We will just touch on our upcoming games. We've got the Coventry preview coming up shortly. So, yeah, there's no need to kind of go over that. But your your kind of feeling is, will one, go full strength and two, have enough to beat them? Um, I think we'll go, I wouldn't say full strength. I think there'll be four or five changes maybe. Goalkeeper might change, a couple of defenders. But other than that, I think there's no reason why we shouldn't go all out to, to go out to win and yeah, I think when Coventry are a few points off the playoffs, you wonder how seriously they'll take. I know they're bringing a lot of fans down for the game. Yeah, we should have enough to beat yeah. them. Let's, 
Yep. Well, uh, we'll see what Tom has got to say shortly on on all of that. But yeah, they um, I think they sold out their allocation in twenty five minutes or something. So yeah, I think it'll be a good atmosphere. But given our break, I, I assume we'll we'll go relatively kind of full, full strength, and then we play uh, Spurs a week tomorrow. Thoughts on this? What are your yeah? What are your what's your gut feel on how this one will will pan out? Uh, well, we've got a pretty wretched record there. I think I've seen this. I've been there, been to Spurs grounds, well, three different Spurs grounds I've been to now in terms of Wembley, White Hart Lane and Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And I've seen us win once, Stephen Davis back in 2016. We've got a pretty poor record there. Harry Kane loves scoring against us. But it's, it's a game, there's no reason to fear Spurs. I know they bought a couple of players yesterday, Kuliseski and um, Bentacore, but you look at their team spurs, and other than Kane and Son, I think Son's pretty close to fitness now. Mm. So I wouldn't surprise it wouldn't surprise if he's in the team for that game. But yeah, there's no reason why we can't go there and get a result. I mean, I, I, I don't expect us, I don't expect us to go and get, go there and win or go there and get a point because I just always always think a team like Spurs will probably just have a bit too much for us. I think we'll probably be we'll probably go there, play well and get beat. I remember the, the cup game there. Two years ago now, where we absolutely battered them, and somehow managed to, managed to get beaten three mm. two. So yeah, I think we'd, it'd be a tough game. But it's one we can get a result. Don't think we will. Yeah, I probably see it relatively similar to you. Obviously, it feels like only a week ago or so that we played them at our yeah. place. So these these fixtures quite close together. We performed very well there, and I think pre the sending off. Were, were the better side it's going to be a really interesting one and, and like you say I've been there a few times now and not seen us um, yeah win unfortunately and I don't know I, I, I don't know how much their signings are going to immediately improve what they've got I think they, they certainly have issues in terms of Conte's kind of ideal setup and what he's got at his disposal right now in terms of the fullbacks and in terms of yeah, I guess they're being kind of creative support for Kane and Son. But yeah, it's going to be a really interesting fixture. You are going, I think, aren't you? I'm going to that day. I'll go to Old Trafford as well. Oof, mate. a few days, which, yeah, come on. How many points are we going to get from those two fixtures? One. <laughs> okay. And where's that point coming? Not going to answer that one. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, my gut feel is it will get we'll get one from from the two of them. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I, I kind of took my own winter break. I've I've been doing dry jan. I was at a spa last week, and I think Feb 9th, the Spurs away game is the first time I'm going to have a pint all year. So very much uh, looking forward to it. Sam, we will we will wrap there. I think the idea is that we'll hopefully have a pod coming out in the next couple of weeks to look at both the Spurs and United games in more depth. But I guess stay tuned and yeah, make sure that you're following us at Marching In Pod on Twitter to to see when that's going to be released. Anything to finish on, Samuel? No, I'm just looking forward to this, getting back to some football. It's been a, a weird break from the Premier League, and yeah, let's, let's get back to having some games. Yeah, I'm going to tuck into the AFCON semi-final is Thursday night. So that will kind of be my first proper bit of footy that I'll, I'll tune into, I think. But yeah, uh, indeed, bit of a strange period. But Saints are back on Saturday at home to Coventry. We'll be previewing that game shortly. And I look forward to uh, 
to speaking soon, Sam. So with Saints versus Coventry coming up on Saturday, I am delighted to be joined by Tom from the Sky Blues Extra Pod. How are you doing, Tom? Yeah, good, Luke. Yeah, cheers for having me on. No, good to have you here. And I think, yeah, instead of me and my co-host muddling through with a commentary preview, better to get uh, you know a fan on who knows his stuff. So, yeah, uh, great to have you here. We're going to kind of talk through everything from, you know, Cov over the last 10 to 15 years to the current playing squad and who to look out for on Saturday. But to start, can you tell us a little bit about the, the podcast that you run? It's Sky Blues Extra. Yeah, talk, talk us through that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, yeah. Um... We, we have a page called Sky Blues Extra across all, all the various social channels, which actually the page has been running for a number of years. Um, it sort of started as like a, almost like a memory lane type page. And we posted like memories of like, you know, stuff in the nineties, et cetera, like the glory, I guess the glory days for Carver, you could call it. Um, and then from there, about a couple of years ago, we sort of, um, you know, well, just before lockdown, actually, funnily enough, but we decided to start doing a podcast and then, I think lockdown really fueled it in terms of having guests on and, you know, people had a bit more time to come on and chat about their time at Coventry and stuff. And then, yeah, we just do a, do a weekly pod like a lot of people do, um, but it's grown really well and yeah, it's really enjoyable to be part of. So yeah, it's Skyview's Extra is the page and then we do the pod each week, but yeah, it's all good fun. Nice. Coincided with, I guess, promotion and uh, yeah, not, not going too badly in, in the championship. Tom, for listeners, has just got back from a two-day trip to, well, I guess Middlesbrough, but then Newcastle, you stayed on a little <laughs> bit extra, didn't you? Yeah, exactly. I was saying, you know, if you go that far up north, you might as well have a laugh in Newcastle. So yeah, we did that, which was good fun. Not the best result at that borough, but we did play well. And then, yeah, good night out in, in Newcastle. But yeah, the journey back yesterday wasn't particularly fun, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. Fine. <laughs> um, we are going to take a bit of a trip down memory lane, but not as far back as the 90s, because me and Sam, my, my co-host, talked about, I guess, it almost being a bit of a sliding doors moment between Southampton and Coventry, going back to kind of the, the late noughties, early 2010s, in terms of Saints being bought by Marcus Lieber and Coventry kind of falling into less than satisfactory ownership, maybe to, to say the least. You know, I must admit, Tom, I know little about kind of this subject. I'd love to get a kind of brief summary on, you know, what happened with that ownership under, it was, is it Sisu Capital? Am I saying that yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, who, I guess, yeah, plenty of kind of stories about cost cutting and the protests. I think most people who followed football more broadly would have known the issues that Coventry fans had with Sisu over those years. And be interesting to know kind of how you find yourselves now. Obviously, the journey back to the Rico is a really relatively interesting and, and more positive football story over the last couple of years. But can you talk the listeners through this? Yeah, absolutely. And, and to be honest, it's one of those where you could, there's been books written about it. To be honest, it's, it's that much of a saga. Um, it's always quite hard to, to summarise. But I think ultimately, like you say, we got taken over by Sisu at a time when the club was in real trouble you know, going into administration, et cetera. And, you know, almost, I guess they saved us at the last minute, but, you know, probably not the best owner in terms of them being a hedge fund. And some of the people that were involved in the club running of the club day to day weren't really football people. You, you hear this sort of stuff all the time, right? It happens nowadays. Um, and for quite a number of years, we were poorly ran, like we were losing a lot of money. We were playing at the Rico, but our rent deal was very, very expensive. It was all built around us, as going back to the Premier League 
and no one really mitigated the situation of us being you know relegated to League One and the League Two, where clearly we just couldn't afford to be playing there. We ended up moving out to Northampton, which was obviously really bad, and the fans just like you know just completely detached with the club at that point. Um, there was quite a big movement to get us back, and we did get back, and then again we moved to Birmingham. So it's just a bit of a a bit of a sort of nightmare for years, really. Um, and then obviously Wasps, well, it's actually what well, at the time we were at Northampton, Wasps came in and bought the Rico, which I think is a situation that no one saw happening. And I think our owners got caught out because I think they thought by going to Northampton, it could trigger something. And they basically, the, the, you know, their bluff got called and, and Wasps bought the Rico. Um, but in, in more recent times, things have got a lot better. Um, one of the big things that's triggered it actually funnily enough is covid because wasps are struggling in terms of money they've got financial issues they don't pull in big crowds obviously rugby itself doesn't generate a lot of money like football does um and obviously with with us being promoted to the championship we're clearly you know an attractive sort of football club to be playing there we pull in bigger crowds you know the revenue that's possible is is huge so ultimately everyone got better on the table and discussed you know as moving back and Anyway, we've now got a 10-year deal um, to be playing there. It's now called the Coventry Building Society Arena. Some people still call it the Rico. Um, but we've got a 10-year deal there, which is the most sort of security I'd say we've had for a number of years. Um, the owners are still saying they want to build their own stadium. They want to have their own stadium where it can generate their own revenues. If you ask most Coventry fans, <laughs> they're probably sceptical to say the least about that, those proposals, just because of what we've been told over the years and all that kind of stuff. And just because... There's a stadium in Coventry that has sky blue seats in it. You know, it's fit for purpose. And, you know, do we really need two stadiums in one, in one city for, for two different clubs? So um, we'll see what happens. But I think for now, the fact we've got a 10-year deal is great. We've got a bit of certainty behind us. Obviously, you know, we're, we're in the championship. We've pretty, we've, we seem to have established ourselves a bit as well in our second season. Um, so I'd say if you ask Coventry fans now, yeah, things are looking a little bit more rosy than they have done for, for a number of years. Yeah, I guess you can say that again. It feels like a, a proper club that, yeah, I guess needs some stability, which sounds like you, you've definitely got. And I guess talking yeah. of attendances and, yeah, I guess selling out, um, I think the allocation for Saturday's match sold out within 25 minutes, which is a sign of, yeah, I think there's a 5,000 allocation, which is decent for the, the kind of northern end of St Mary's. But yeah, fair, fair play to, to Cobb fans on that front. You touched on promotion and being well established now, um, kind of in the championship. I think you finished 16th in your first season, but going pretty well. Um, in season two under Mark Robbins. Just again for listeners, take us back a little bit further than that with the promotion, because I think you were leading, were you leading League One at the time that football kind of got cancelled in at those levels? And then on a points per game basis, you were kind of crowned champions of League One. Is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. So we were, to us, we were absolutely flying at the time. It was really disappointing because we were absolutely flying at the time it, it got called off. Um, I think we'd gone on a run where I think we only lost three games that whole season obviously you know there's 10 games short of a, of a full season but I think I might be wrong on this but I think from Christmas onwards I think we we didn't lose a single game I think we like drew one or two games and we won the rest so we we're absolutely flying um, and I think if I'm right we were five points clear at the time that it got called off so I think 
yeah, it was points per game, which was disappointing just because you want to be there. You want to see it happen on the pitch. You want to, all the celebrations and all that is what you dream of as a football fan, right? And I remember when we played you guys, when you went up um, and we were going down and obviously just seeing that, that's what you want for your club. Um, so that was disappointing. But I think, you know, just around football and even people we spoke to on our pod, I don't think anyone sort of, you know, was disgruntled about the fact that we were crowned champions. I think it was clear that we were going to go on and win the league. If anything, we were going from strength to strength that season. Um, and yeah, like I say, we we're absolutely flying. So it's not in the nature you want to win the league, but I think we we deserved it. And we were, we were definitely the best team that season. Yeah, yeah, fair. And so on to Mark Robbins, I guess kind of fans of early 90s football will know him a little bit from his days at United and, and then maybe somewhat of a, uh, yeah, kind of mixed playing career. This is his, is this his second time in charge of Colt? Have I got that right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, he, uh, uh, he joined us in, oh, I'm trying to remember now, was it 2012 possibly? He had a first stint essentially with us uh, in League One and he left to go to Huddersfield who were in the championship at the time, I think. So obviously he got lured in by, I think it was like three times the salary, et cetera. And it was obviously quite an attractive role. Cough fans were a little bit disappointed and upset at the time because he'd actually been quoted, I think only a couple of weeks before that, to say he'd got sky blue blood running through his veins and, you know, saying all the right things. But then he sort of went off to Huddersfield for the money. So he wasn't a popular man at the time. Um, And then he came back and actually... What's great about it is that I think he genuinely felt really bad at the time and, and it didn't work yeah. out at Huddersfield for him. It really didn't work out. So then he came back for a second stint and he's never really looked back and he's the most popular man in Coventry, to be honest with you, with, the, with what he's done. It's unbelievable. So I think that sort of guilty feeling of going has almost helped him to become the, the most loyal manager and the most dedicated manager that we've, we've had for a long time. Yeah. What are the kind of hallmarks of a Mark Robbins team or I guess in terms of, some sort of identity that, that you can see over the couple of years that he's now had um, most yeah. recently? I'd say on the pitch, good football, play, play a good style of football. Um, that's always been the case. Um, I'd say probably it's more around what he does at the actual football club that's, that's the real hallmark for him. So his sort of recruitment policy, you know, he doesn't go out and spend millions of pounds mainly because of the budget, but he gets absolutely everything out of, each player we have so he's just you know we, and obviously the budgets have, have increased a bit since we've been in the championship but you know he's signing players for like a million pounds that no one's particularly heard of and they turn out to be really you know really good players um so i think his and, and we've got a really good recruitment team as well that, that, that obviously they're a big part of that but he's very very good at working in you know difficult conditions and you know the owners perhaps not pumping in as much money as other clubs in the championship and with far outweighing where we should be. So I'd say that's probably his true hallmark. Um, but at the same time, yeah, some really nice football on the pitch. Yeah. Now I've kind of heard as much and I catch a little bit of the EFL on Quest, which is uh, a very decent show if you're wanting to tuck into a bit of a, yeah EFL action. Um, and, and that kind of has been said. I guess looking ahead to Saturday's fixture in terms of... You know, the I guess the the danger men. I'm not going to try and pronounce the Swedish striker's name, and I'll, I'll leave that to you, um, yeah, Tom. But anyone, kind of, yeah, that we should be looking at. Am I right in saying is it Godden who has gone? He's he had like an operation or something. Do you have a appendicitis? Yeah. I saw that on Twitter yeah. doing the rounds. Yeah. So yeah, danger men. Kind of who to look out for? I think I, I saw 
maybe I was listening to another pod where they're talking about young up-and-coming players in the championship and O'Hare's name was mentioned and there were comparisons to Jack Grealish, but I'm not just sure if that's the, the hair band or the hair that's, uh, <laughs> that's made that happen. But yeah, talk me through your, your danger men who, who Saints fans need to watch out for. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, Victor Jokeres is is the way, so that's what we've gone for on our pod, but you can probably right. ask different yeah, club yeah, fans yeah. and you get different pronunciations. Um, but yeah, so he, he's he's definitely a danger man. Um, funny one though, really, he actually, he started the season absolutely on fire. I think he scored like nine goals in 11 games or something. He was scoring every week and then he actually tailed off and he went, I don't know how many games it was, 10, 12 games without scoring. He got a goal in the week against Stoke and he looks to be back on form. He was unbelievable on Saturday at Borough. Um, I think Chris Wilder said he was the best striker he'd seen in the championship, which is kind of some comment really from Chris Wilder. He didn't score a goal, but he was unplayable really. Um, what sort so of striker is he, Tom? Sorry to jump in. What sort of striker yeah, should we expect to see on he's, he's He's a big bloke. He's like physical, powerful, uh, ball sticks to his feet. He's also got a really good finish on him or he did at the start of the season anyway. <laughs> Um, <laughs> he is a funny one like he's playing up t- front on his own at the moment and I feel like he's someone who probably is better in a two you know alongside like a Godden or a, a Waghorn and we might you know play in that way or, or we we definitely have that option to bring on in terms of Waghorn Godden you're right is he's out injured with appendicitis hopefully he'll be back in the next couple of weeks um, but he's playing on his own sometimes lacks a bit of support but he's he ca- the way he carries the ball is unbelievable. I saw some stat, I can't remember what it was. It was something like, if you look at how far players have carried the ball on the pitch, he was like fourth in the league or something. Some mad stat like that. So he'll wow. get it, you know, on the halfway line and he'll carry it like 20 yards. And like I say, ball sticks to his feet. So he's definitely one for you guys to watch out for. Um, there's Callum O'Hare, you know, young, young prospect. We got him from Villa. Had him on loan in League One and then we signed him permanently. Um, he's a really exciting player. There's Gustavo Hamer as well, who um, he's he's we signed him from Zvol in Holland for a million. Um, he's a really exciting player. So we've got talent in the team spread across. We're a little bit thin on the ground at the moment with injuries and and COVID and like like most teams are. Um, but I'd say if I was to give you three players, they're probably the three that that you want to look out for on Saturday. Yeah, nice. No, I've um, yeah, I've certainly heard plenty about um, Jokeres. Is he how how big is he? I swear I heard in a pod he's, he's just massive, isn't he? Yeah, I, I don't know exactly how tall he is, yeah, but he's fair. yeah, he's he's a big lad. He's str- He's really <laughs> strong. Like he yeah. he doesn't get muscles off the ball, and he just he's one of those players. He just, like it's a defender's nightmare. Like it was happening on Saturday. Like the ball was coming over, or like balls coming coming down the wing. And the def- like, it was almost like he's going to get there and the defender almost has to let him get the ball and then try and tackle him. And it, it's just one of those, it, it gives a defender a nightmare. Um, and he certainly, you know, will be someone we'll be trying to utilise if we're going to, if we are going to get um, anything on Saturday. We'll get through yeah, on Saturday. Yeah. Maybe certain um, similarities with Armando Broja, who, who we mm. obviously have on loan right now from, from Chelsea. But yeah, he, he's a big lad. But yeah very hard to get the ball off and very happy driving at defenders with the ball. It's yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. And actually kind of a striker that we haven't had for a long time, but I haven't really seen strikers like it who are kind of large, you know, and, and very muscular, but happy with the ball at their feet. So yeah, maybe some, uh, yeah, some, some similarities there. On to, on to Saturday then. I mean, Saints are, are kind of going to be taking this very seriously. Ralph said already that 
you know, the, the both cups really. We we pushed Chelsea into till penalties in the League Cup uh, a couple of rounds ago. FA Cup, we got to the semis last year, being defeated yeah. by by Leicester in what was a awful match. We were shit. I don't think we had a shot on target actually the whole ninety minutes. Um, we um. Yeah, we're, we're kind of very much going to be going full strength, I assume, in, in this one. Will Cov be doing the same? Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say so. I'd, I mean, I haven't seen any, any sort of comments from the club yet, but knowing Mark Robinson and what he's like, I'd, I'd be very, very confident he'll be putting out a full strength team. He'll probably be saying the same sort of things. Like, we'll take it seriously. I think as a club like us, we kind of, I think we, we have to respect the cup and... With our financial situation as well, we have to kind of go for it. Obviously, you know, the ticket money and stuff's great, but getting through, there's obviously that kind of prize pot. So for clubs like us, I think it's really important. Also, it, I think it's just, you know, just trying to win it, win as many games as you can. And, you know, it would obviously just you know put a lot of confidence in the side if you do pull off a win like that. So I would suspect Mark Robbins will be will be also going for it on Saturday. And and also, we don't really have the squad luxury, to be honest, to put out a second string team. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd say it'll probably be a, a full strength side, yeah. Yeah, nice. I guess you're in that position right now. I think you, you mentioned this before we came on, but your February is quite a busy one, isn't it? Seven games, I think you said. You've got a couple in yeah. hand on teams above yeah. you. You're certainly not out of the reckoning for playoffs, which will, of course, for a championship side, be the be the focus. But it seems like, from what you've said, it will be kind of full strength versus full strength on on Saturday. Yeah, I think it's you know, it's, I think it's going going with full strength team, but just playing without any any worries and playing with a lot of freedom because it really doesn't matter what happens. You know, whereas Burrow, yeah. it was like we were missing chances and everyone was like getting a bit like, oh, like we might throw this away. At Southampton, it doesn't matter what happens really. So sometimes it just allows you to play with that extra bit of freedom and just enjoy the day and enjoy the game. And, you know, you never know. Yeah. Well, Tom, we are, yeah, well up for it. Obviously, a lot of travelling Cov fans, as I've said, will be in at St Mary's on Saturday. Um, it's the first time we've played you since that 4 0 game, which I guess for Saints is probably one of the kind of, yeah, um, one of our highlights of recent history maybe the history of the club in many ways you know seeing the the pitch invasion which was I guess slightly different day for um for, yeah. for Cobb fans but it was on BBC like it was yeah it was a it was a big event um I hope very much so that you can squeeze into the the playoffs it's a very tight one isn't it the championship this season like, there's a lot of clubs big kind of big teams as well and I looked at the table I had no clue that QPR were now even competing for I guess um yeah yeah, uh, uh, maybe even an automatic spot, which seems seem bizarre. Blackburn are going well, but yeah, what are your what are your predictions and, and how you will finish the the season? Yeah, it's, it's it's tough, isn't it? It's hard to predict. There's obviously a lot of games left to play because obviously, like you say, we've got some in hand. I think we're only really just really half past the halfway point, even though it's you know the end of January because um, of rearranged games and. We've been, you know, we haven't dropped below 10th all season, which, you know, has to be a good sign, right? You know, we've not gone on a disastrously bad run at any point. We did go, I think, 10 games without winning, but we had a lot of draws in that spell and it's been a bit strange. So, I don't know, it's it's definitely all to play for. Um, I think, I, in my opinion, I don't think the championship's as strong as it, as it has been in previous years. Um, the fact that teams like Blackburn and QPR are up there, I think, like, speaks volumes. Like, Huddersfield are up mm. there. You know, a lot of the big sides that you would expect to be up there, like Sheffield United, haven't had great starts. Forest obviously had a really poor start. So 
and obviously there's points deductions and things. It's a, it's a mad league. Um, I think we're definitely in with a shout. I think February will be absolutely massive. I think where we are at the end of Feb will be a big sort of indicator. We've got a lot of teams to play in the bottom sort of seven or eight as well. So I think if we can get ourselves, you know, right in there. But having said that, as long as you're within like three or four points, you know, going into the final few games, then anything can happen. So I'd love it if we could still sixth place. I don't think we're ready for the Premier League in any way, shape or form, but I wouldn't care less, I wouldn't care less obviously, if we got in there. So, yeah, we'll just have to see how it plays out. Yeah. I said to my co-host in the last pod, it's quite, um, I feel like this fixture is quite Premier League years from sort of the mid-90s. Mid Cough feel, feels like a, a side that should definitely at least be in the Championship and be great to see them maybe squeak into, into those playoff places. Tom, thanks so much for your time and thanks for joining me. Um, yeah, I guess I uh, don't wish you the greatest of luck for, for Saturday, but I do wish you great luck for the rest of the season and good luck with the, the pod as well. Yeah, no, thanks a lot for having me on. Really appreciate it. Cheers. Nice one.